السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد ولا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسلما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected listeners Once again we gather for the monthly tafsir of the Holy Quran Having completed a number of surahs from the back of the Quran today we will read Surah Al-Humaza. The surah immediately before Surah Al-Feel. Again, this is one of the short surahs of the Qur'an towards its end, which most people are familiar with and may even have memorized. And a surah which people, which we repeat quite frequently in our daily prayers because of its brevity. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, Wailul Likulli Humazatil Lumaza. Woe be unto every backbiting, defaming person, or woe be unto every backbiter, defamer. الذي جمع مالا وعدده he who gathers wealth and counts it يحسب أن ماله أخلده he thinks that his wealth will give him eternal life كلا never لَيُنْبَذَنَّ فِي الْحُطَمَةِ He will surely be cast into the crushing one. وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا الْحُطَمَةِ And what do you know of the crushing one? نَارُ اللَّهِ الْمُوْقَدَةِ Allah's ignited fire. الَّتِي تَطَّلِعُ عَلَى الْأَفْئِدَةِ That which rises over the hearts. إِنَّهَا عَلَيْهِمْ مُؤْصَدَةِ Indeed, it, the fire, will be closed upon them في عَمَدٍ مُمَدَّدَةِ in extended columns. That's a very simple translation of the words of Surah Al-Humaza. It's a very short surah with just nine brief verses. The surah is known as Surah Al-Humaza 
It's also known as Surat Wailul Likulli Humazah. And there's also a third name by which the Surah has been referred to. Again, it's a word from the Surah itself, Surah Al-Hutama. Briefly, let me give you a summary of what the Surah says, and then inshallah we'll discuss some of the individual verses in more detail. Allah says, Woe be unto every backbiting, defaming person. He who gathers wealth, accumulates wealth, and then enumerates it, counts it. He thinks that his wealth will make him immortal, give him everlasting life. So in these first three verses, Allah speaks about a certain type of person. Then the Qur'an makes a sudden switch, very dramatic one, and quite emphatically states, Never, nay. Rather than his wealth give him, giving him eternal life and making him immortal, rather he will be thrown into the fire. But the way the fire is described here is by one of its other names as Hutamah. Hutamah means the crushing one. So he will be thrown into the Hutamah, the crushing one. And then... The reader is asked, just as the Prophet ﷺ was asked, that what will inform you of the reality of the hutama, of the crushing one? Then Allah describes it himself, that the hutama, the crushing one, into which this particular type of person will be thrown, is the fire ignites, the, the, Allah's ignited fire, which will peep, and which will rise and appear before the hearts. The fire will be such that in the akhirah, in the hereafter, their punishment will be such that the fire will be, will enclose them, the fire will be shut upon them. They will be engulfed entirely by this hutamah fire in extended columns. So the first part of the surah speaks about a particular type of person with certain qualities and characteristics. And then the remaining verses speak about, the remaining six verses speak about the akhirah, the hereafter, and the punishment that awaits such a person in the afterlife. And rather than speak about different forms of punishment, the remaining verses focus on just one aspect, which is, the nature of the fire which Allah has prepared for this type of person. Now before we move on to the late part of the surah, what type of person does the beginning of the surah refer to and speak of? Allah says, A number of characteristics have been mentioned here. First of all, humaza. So, wailul likulli humaza, woe be unto every humaza. Arabic is a very unique language, and each word has its unique pattern, weight, nuance, shade of meaning, and all of these different shades and nuances and even weights of the word are c- 
contained in a single utterance. And normally when you have to translate that into other languages, it can only be rendered with a number of words, a number of sentences, well, a number of words in a whole sentence. Same is with humaza and lumaza. Humaza is a superlative term, which means someone who excessively engages in hums to such a degree that it becomes second nature to this person. And what's hums? Hums means to attack a person in secrecy behind them, behind their back. And the best way of describing this is backbiting. Lumaza, again, is someone who engages excessively in lums to such a degree that it almost becomes a second nature to the person. It's their character. It's, it's, it's who they are. They are forever engaging in lums. And lums, again, means to attack. But it means to attack, not in just absence, but in absence as well as in presence, quite shamelessly. And it includes, originally, both words, hums and lums, meant to attack. But later, uh, meaning even before the revelation of the Qur'an, the Arabs began to use them as an attack, not in terms of a physical attack, but rather an attack on a person's honour, character, dignity, etc. So both words, humaza and lumaza, refer to someone who attacks. But this isn't a physical attack. A person does not lay a finger on the property or the person of their victim. Rather, their victims are the victims of attacks by tongue. Both humaza and lumaza refer to an attack by tongue. And humaza means backbiting, attacking someone's honour, dignity, person, character, in their absence, but, and stealthily. And lums, the second word, refers to attacking someone's character, honour and dignity, Again, quite aggressively and shamelessly, but not necessarily in their absence, both in their absence as well as in their presence. So, humaza, the first word, refers to someone who backbites, who, indul- who engages in spreading rumours, in gossiping. And lumaza, the second word, refers to someone who defames and taunts their victim, again by the tongue, regardless of whether they do it in their presence or in their absence. So, Woe means a curse. Allah curses. Woe be unto every backbiting, defaming person. He who gathers wealth and enumerates it, counts it. He thinks that his wealth will give him everlasting life. So these are the four, shall we say, five characteristics of this particular type of person. They are someone who backbites, and gossips. Two, someone who taunts and defames. Three, someone who gathers wealth. Four, someone who constantly counts and enumerates that wealth 
And number five, someone who becomes delusional and delirious as a result of that wealth, believing in their own power and immortality. These are the five characteristics. Now, before I actually speak about Humaza and Lumaza, the first two, it would be better to speak about the other three, later three characteristics first. Quite simply because the way the Arabic is structured, it renders a meaning of the later characteristics giving rise to the former. So Allah says, Woe be unto every backbiting, defaming person who gathers wealth and enumerates it. He thinks that his wealth gives him everlasting life. So the first two characteristics, the first two traits of attacking people by way of backbiting, gossip, rumour-mongering, taunting, jibes, defamation, etc. These evil and lowly traits actually come about as a result of the excessive and unbridled love of wealth and attachment to wealth. So the later characteristic of gathering wealth incessantly, becoming attached to that wealth, obsessed with that wealth, and enumerating it, counting it, measuring it, forever calculating it, and then becoming delusional and delirious as a result of that wealth, this is actually what gives rise to evil traits in a person, which leads the person to attacking others, even if it means physically. But here the surah does not concern itself with physical attacks. It speaks about someone who appears to be noble by not indulging, not not engaging in physical attacks, but still engages in very violent verbal attacks and the assassination of other people's character. So the former traits of hums and lums actually come about as a result of the later traits of wealth and attachment to that wealth. So what this, the beginning of this surah actually speaks of is the corrosive and corrupting nature of wealth and what it does to a person. So let's focus on the later traits first and then inshallah we'll return to the first two traits of humaza and lumaza. So what does Allah say? الَّذِي جَمَعَ مَالًا يَحْسَبُ أَنَّ مَالَهُ Three things. One who gathers wealth and then counts it. Two. And then believes that this wealth gives him everlasting life. Here Allah actually condemns someone who gathers wealth. الَّذِي جَمَعَ مَالًا Someone who gathers wealth. Now, is the accumulation of wealth, the gathering of wealth, the acquisition of wealth, the generation of wealth, is all this commendable or to be condemned? Here, this verse suggests that it's condemned. So, does the Qur'an, do the hadith, do the scriptures and the teachings of Islam condemn the acquisition and the generation of wealth? Yes and no. Because it depends. It depends on the context. It depends on the intention. It depends on the manner. 
So let me elaborate on this first. In essence, the Qur'an and the Hadith actually encourage the creation, generation, and the acquisition of wealth. They do. But they do so, this must be done responsibly, in the correct manner, with the right intention. And this is what the Qur'an and the Hadith speak of. Prophet ﷺ says in a hadith later by man, well in fact by many, many authors, in a very reliable hadith, Prophet ﷺ says, مَا أَكَلَ أَحَدٌ طَعَامًا قَطُّ خَيْرًا مِنْ إِنْ يَأْكُلَ مِنْ عَمَلِ يَدِهِ وَإِنَّ نَبِيَّ اللَّهِ دَاوُودَ عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامُ كَانَ يَأْكُلُ مِنْ عَمَلِ يَدِهِ We've covered this in Bukhari also. That never has anyone consumed or eaten any food which is better than that food which they have eaten from the work and the effort of their own hands. And indeed, the Prophet of Allah, Dawood alayhi salam, he would eat from the efforts and the work of his own hands. Being the Messenger of Allah, the Prophet of Allah, being a king in his own right, being a powerful monarch and ruler and a Prophet of Allah, despite all of that, the Prophet Dawood alayhi salam, in order to feed himself, would never rely on others. Rather, he would eat from the income, the effort, and the work of his own hands. He would not eat from the coffers of the state. He would not eat from other people's efforts. Despite being a monarch, a ruler, and having the treasures of the land at his disposal, and despite being a prophet of Allah, even someone as great, as powerful, and as noble as the Prophet Dawood he would eat only from what he earned with his own hands. And that's a supreme example. So the Prophet said, never has anyone eaten any food better than that food which they have eaten from the efforts of their own hands. The Prophet by practice, by demonstration and example, and by encouragement and by instruction of his companions, he taught his followers not to be reliant on anyone else, but rather to be reliant on oneself, to work for oneself, to feed and clothe oneself and one's family with the effort of one's own hands. To be self-sufficient, to be independent, never dependent on anyone else. The Prophet ﷺ made that very clear. And that's what the Qur'an and the Hadith teach us. The Qur'an actually encourages us to go out and seek from the bounty of Allah. And there can be no better example of this than the message of Surah Al-Jumu'ah. Not Surah Al-Jumu'ah, the message of Jumu'ah. Today is Friday. Friday is the holiest day of the Muslim week. Friday is when we have our weekly congregational Jumu'ah prayers. It's a unique moment, it's a unique event. In other faiths, 
the holy day of the week is meant to be a time of rest. So, work is forbidden. To earn wealth is actually forbidden. And the whole day is reserved for prayer, rest, contemplation and devotion to God. And this is true for a number of faiths, not just the Abrahamic faiths. And in fact, the trading laws of Sunday in this country are a remnant and a reflection of the same (coughs) spirit of Sunday being a day of rest. It's not a day for working, for shopping, or for earning wealth. In contrast to that, what does the Holy Qur'an tell us about Friday? And, in fact, in the Abrahamic faiths, the belief of a whole day of the week being a day of rest, contemplation and devotion is actually a reflection of the belief that God created the heavens and the earth, the entire universe in six days and then rested on the seventh. And Allah addresses that in a number of verses of the Holy Qur'an. In one verse, وَمَا مَسَّنَا مِنْ لُغُوبِ فَاصْبِرْ عَلَى مَا يَقُولُونَ That Allah speaks about the creation of the heavens and the earth. And then Allah says, وَمَا مَسَّنَا مِنْ لُغُوبِ And no fatigue touched us. فَاصْبِرْ عَلَى مَا يَقُولُونَ So be patient over what they say. In another verse, وَلَمْ يَعْيَ بِخَلْقِهِنْ And he did not tire of the creation or by because of the creation of the heavens and the earth. And on Jumu'ah, our holiest day, what does the Qur'an tell us? The Prophet ﷺ would recite Surah Al-Jumu'ah and Surah Al-Munafiqoon in the Friday prayers. That was when everyone gathered and they heard this recitation of the Prophet ﷺ. He had a number of surahs which he would recite. Surah Al-A'la, Surah Al-Ghashiyah, Surah Al-Jumu'ah and Surah Al-Munafiqoon. These were his favorite surahs for Salat Salat Al-Jumu'ah, for the Jumu'ah prayer. And in fact, quite frequently, although on occasions it was different, and he would uh, not always read them in pairs, but on many occasions he would read them in pairs. But this was his favorite setup of reciting on Jumu'ah. First rak'ah, Surah Al-A'la, Sabih Isma Rabbika Al-A'la, Second rak'ah, Surah Al-Ghashiyah, Halataka Hadith Al-Ghashiyah. And on other weeks, first rak'ah, Surah Al-Jumu'ah, Yusabbihu lillahi ma fi samawat. And then second rak'ah, Surah Al-Munafiqoon, Ida ja'aka al-Munafiqoon, Qalu nashadu innaka la Rasulullah. Now, Surah Al-Jumu'ah in the first rak'ah, Surah Al-Munafiqoon in the second rak'ah, what do both surahs tell us? What's the weekly message? Well, in the first rak'ah, Surah Al-Jumu'ah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says towards the end, Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu, idha nudiya lis-salati min yawm al-jumu'ati fas'aw ila dhikri Allah, wadharu al-bay'i, 
ذلكم خير لكم إن كنتم تعلمون فإذا قضيت الصلاة فانتشروا في الأرض وابتغوا من فضل الله واذكروا الله كثيرا لعلكم تفلحون الله says oh believers when the call is given for prayer on the day of Jumu'ah then hasten towards remembrance of Allah which is a reference to the khutbah the sermon وَذَرُوا الْبَيْعِ and leave aside trading so that means rather than rest if a person chooses to that's fine but the Quran actually says and this is what the companions would do even on the Friday they would engage in trade in business in earning in generating wealth all the way up to the first adhan of Jumu'ah Salah so rather than being a day of rest it was still a day of working and trade. All the way up to the Adhan of Jum'ah. When the Adhan is given, then abandon trade. This is far better for you if only you knew. Then Allah says, When the Salah ends, then disperse in the land. And seek the bounty of Allah, meaning his sustenance, his wealth and his risk. That means abandon trade at the first adhan, go to the dhikr of Allah, his remembrance, Jumu'ah, Salah and worship. And then as soon as Salah ends, disperse in the land and again you may engage in trade, in business and seek the bounty and the wealth of Allah. So even on the day of Jumu'ah, the holiest day of the Muslims, rather than it being simply a day of rest and uh, recuperation, it was, it is still a day of earning wealth, of generating wealth, for oneself and for the rest of the community and society at large. That's what Surah Al-Jumu'ah tells us. But then, as I said, this is the teaching of the Qur'an and the Hadith. Islam encourages earning wealth, earning with the efforts of one's own hands, standing on one's own two feet, of being independent, not relying on anyone else, generating wealth for oneself, for others, creating wealth for oneself and for others. Then, but as I said, this is only encouraged in a climate of responsibility, of charity, of sharing, of compassion, with the right methodology, in the right manner, and with the right intention, and with the right heart, with the right mentality. If these conditions are absent, then wealth becomes a burden rather than a boon. It becomes a curse rather than a blessing. And wealth possesses the people rather than people possessing wealth. And that's mentioned immediately thereafter. Allah says... Disperse in the land, and seek the bounty of Allah. However, Allah then says, Immediately. And remember Allah often in the hope that you may succeed. Realize when you disperse in the land and you continue to work and trade and do business and engage in commerce and enterprise and create wealth, remember that your success lies not in the wealth, but in the remembrance of Allah. And therefore engage excessively in the remembrance of Allah. لَعَلَّكُمْ تُفْلِحُونَ In the hope that you may succeed. 
Then Allah ends Surah Al-Jumu'ah. These are the final words that we hear before the first rak'ah, before the recitation of the first rak'ah ends, and we bow into ruku'ah. What does the Qur'an then say immediately thereafter? وَإِذَا رَأُوا تِجَارَةً أَوْ لَهْوًا انْفَضُّوا إِلَيْهَا وَتَرَكُوكَ قَائِمًا قُلْ مَا عِنْدَ اللَّهِ خَيْرٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ وَمِنَ التِّجَارَةِ وَاللَّهُ خَيْرٌ رَازِقِينَ Allah says, referring to a particular incident, which we don't have time to discuss at the moment, but just understand the words. Allah says, and when they see trade, or vanity, they rush to it. They break out in a run to it. And they leave you standing. Say to them, that which is with Allah, whatever is with Allah, whatever is by Allah, that is far better than any vanity and than any trade. And Allah is the best of those who provide sustenance. Allah is the best of sustainers. That's how the surah ends. So one should indeed go out, travel, Go out in the land of Allah, engage in trade, commerce, business, work. Create wealth for oneself, for one's family, one's dependents, and for others. But it should be done with the right mentality, with the right spirit, with the right mind, with the right heart, with the right intention, with the correct understanding, with the correct attitude and approach. And part of that approach is... First of all, realize success does not lie in wealth. It lies in the remembrance of Allah. Two, the wealth of the world cannot equate and cannot comp- with and cannot compare to that reward which is with Allah. And that a person should rely not on the wealth, but on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that the remembrance of Allah and his worship and Allah's reward is far better than any trade and any vanity or futility or any jest and play of the world. That's before we bow into the first ruku' of the first rak'ah. Then in the second rak'ah, when we rise as part of the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, we hear the recitation of Surah Al-Munafiqun. And what do we learn from Surah Al-Munafiqun in relation to wealth? Allah says, the, uh, one of the first references to wealth in Surah Al-Munafiqun, again in the later part of the surah is, هُمُ الَّذِينَ يَقُولُونَ لَا تُنْفِقُوا عَلَى مَنْ عِنْدَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ حَتَّى يَنْفَضُوا Allah, Allah refers to an incident. The Prophet ﷺ was travelling and returning to Medina from a campaign known as the campaign or the Ghazwat Bani al-Mustaliq, the campaign against Banu al-Mustaliq. On the return, there were many hypocrites in the army and they were at a camp. And the hypocrites were bitter enemies of the Muslims and the noble, sincere companions. And they would seize any opportunity to foment trouble between the Muslims. On this occasion, a disagreement arose between a muhajir and an, and an ansari. So one of the emigrant companions from Mecca 
and one of the indigenous companions from Al-Madinat Al-Munawwarah. As I've explained on numerous occasions before, the, the earliest Muslims emigrated from Mecca to Medina, and when they arrived there, they arrived penniless, destitute and poor. Many of them became dependents on the char- they became dependent on the charity and the goodwill of the indigenous population of Medina. And although I'm averse to using such a phrase, but uh, only for the purpose of facilitating understanding, in today's context, it's almost like they were refugees. They came, they fled. They fled persecution, they fled torture, uh, possible murder. They fled uh, their homeland, their home city, their birthplace. They left behind their wealth and their families. And that many of them arrived, well, most of them arrived with no possessions whatsoever. And they were entirely dependent on the goodwill and the charity of the indigenous host community. The Muslims, the sincere Muslims, received them and very selflessly shared their wealth with them. But the hypocrites were always using this as an excuse to attack and taunt the emigrant Muslims. And this was one such occasion. They thought, so what happened is a disagreement arose between uh, one of the Muslims from Mecca and one of the Muslims from Medina in the camp. When word spread about this disagreement, Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, the, the, the chief hypocrite and the leader of the hypocrite faction in Medina, he again seized this opportunity and began causing more trouble. He was seated with his cronies and with others as well. And he said to them, See, Again, we see an example of an emigrant, Muhajir, from Mecca, lording it over us. They arrived penniless, destitute and poor. We spent on them, we received them, we accommodated them, we fed and clothed them, we gave them shelter. And look how they behave with us. Is this their gratitude? They seek to lord over us. Then he said to his companion, he said a number of things. One of them was, he said, I tell you, there is no better example to compare us and them than the saying, that feed your, fatten, feed your dog and fatten it so that it will devour you. That's what we've been doing to these emigrants from Mecca. We've been feeding them and fattening them so that they may then devour us, just like the Arabic saying is, min kalbak ya'kulk, feed your dog, and it will devour you, it will eat you. So this is what we've been doing with this lot. When word of this reached the Prophet ﷺ and the other companions, Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul presented himself and protested his innocence, and one of the child companions was the one who actually relayed this to the Prophet ﷺ. And many couldn't believe that Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul could say something like this, or that he had actually said it. And he protested his innocence. The Prophet ﷺ humored him, accepted his protest, protests of innocence, his protestations, and then uh, left the matter at that. The young Sahabi was quite distraught, saying, now everybody thinks I am a liar. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed verses of the Holy Qur'an which 
proved that even a child was speaking the truth. And Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, one of the chieftains of Khazraj, and his cronies, and even some of the other companions who were sincere, but who couldn't actually believe that Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul could utter such words, they were proven to be incorrect. The Prophet wasallam actually, when he came, when he summoned him, he twisted his ear and said to him, Allah has revealed verses which attest to your truthfulness from above the heavens. So this was one of those verses. What else did he say? He said, this is how they are. Then he said, I'll tell you what we should do. Let's just stop spending on them. We will give them no more wealth. Do not spend on these emigrant companions. And do you know what the results will be? They will disperse. They will disappear. <coughs> they are so dependent on our wealth, on our charity. And they are so loving of wealth and attached to wealth, that as soon as we stop spending on them, they will disperse, dissolve and disappear. And we will be relieved of them. That's what the verse refers to. So the Quran says, They are those, Allah says, who say, do not spend on those who are with the Messenger of Allah or who are by the Messenger of Allah. Until they disperse. How does Allah respond to that? Allah then says immediately, وَلِلَّهِ خَزَائِنُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَلَكِنَّ الْمُنَافِقِينَ لَا يَفْقَهُونَ And to Allah belong the treasures of the heavens and the earth, but the hypocrites do not understand. That's the first reference that we come across in Surah Al-Jumu'ah, advising us about wealth and its nature. Indeed, in the first rak'ah, we were told, go out in the land and spend. Sorry, go out in the land and earn the wealth. Earn wealth, create wealth, and earn, seek the bounty of Allah. However, Allah then told us, success lies in the remembrance of Allah. And the remembrance of Allah and His reward are far better than any trade and any vanity or futility. Then here is another reference. In the second rak'ah of Jumu'ah, what are we being reminded of? This story... And what's the moral and the lesson of this story? Those who are attached to the world, those whose hearts are diseased like the hearts of the hypocrites, they rely not on Allah, but they repose their entire trust and confidence and belief in the power of wealth. They believe wealth is God. Wealth is what makes and breaks. Wealth is what creates and kills. Wealth is all-powerful, all-potent. And that's why Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Saul said, it's simple, we'll stop spending wealth on them, and they will disappear, they will disperse. That is not the way Allah's universe works. Allah's universe does not depend or revolve on or around wealth. Allah says, وَلِلَّهِ خَزَائِنُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ To Allah belongs the heaven, the treasures of the heavens and the earth. But the hypocrites do not understand. This understanding, this belief, this concept, that wealth has all, all the power, and everything happens by wealth, this is actually a diseased understanding of a diseased heart. Then the next reference to wealth, Allah says towards the end of Surah Al-Munafiqun, 
يا ايها الذين امنوا لا تلهكم اموالكم ولا اولادكم عن ذكر الله ومن يفعل ذلك فاولئك هم الخاسرون وانفقوا مما رزقناكم من قبل ان ياتي احدكم الموت فيقول رب لولا فيقول رب لولا اخرتني الى اجل قريب فاصدق واكن من الصالحين الله سيز او او بليفز do not let your wealth and your children distract you from the remembrance of Allah and whoever does this then these are the ones who are the losers and then Allah says so again the other message do not let your wealth become a distraction do not let it distract you from the remembrance of Allah another thing wa anfiqu and spend of what we have bestowed upon you before death comes upon one of you then at the last at the time of death one of you then says oh my lord if only you would give me some respite if only you would delay my death by a little by some time why for a sadaq so that i may give in charity waqum min as-salihin and i may become one of the pious we will come to that realization just before death so these are the messages of just two verses sorry two surahs of the holy quran which we actually hear in salatul jumu'ah on friday so indeed the quran and the hadith encourages to earn stand on our own two feet to create wealth to acquire wealth to generate wealth this is strongly encouraged we are even told to work all the way up to the congregational prayer of jumu'ah on our holiest day of the week and then immediately return to work after jumu'ah but this must be done with the correct understanding the correct attitude and approach the correct mentality and the correct heart in the correct manner with the right mind if it isn't done with the correct understanding with the right heart then wealth rather than being a blessing it will become a burden and a bo- rather than being a boon it will become a burden rather than a blessing it will become a curse and that's what allah speaks of in this surah surah al-humusa if it's not with the right understanding then wealth is destructive it's corrosive it's corrupting it actually corrupts a person's mind and heart it makes a person delusional and delirious it corrupts a person's character it makes him miserly and stingy niggardly hard-hearted harsh of tongue aggressive and violent now lest someone says well surely the love of wealth does not make a person violent violence can exhibit itself in many ways violence does not always have to be with with the hands and with with the hands and feet it does not always have to be physical violence perpetrated against others this is the beauty of the teachings of allah and his rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam balanced wholesome and comprehensive for generations and centuries people have always believed that sticks and stones break bones but words never hurt physical violence was always condemned but verbal emotional and mental aggression were never condemned in fact they were never even considered to be a problem only now in the last century and especially towards the uh, t- uh, very recently has there been a more 
revised understanding and a better understanding in the light of psychology of the harmful effects of emotional abuse, verbal abuse, verbal aggression. And that's only recently. But despite all the advances of learning, even in psychology and psychiatry, it still hasn't reached a portion and a fraction of what the Qur'an and the Hadith have to tell us about verbal, emotional and mental abuse. And how these forms of abuse are sometimes even more hurtful and harmful in the long term and more aggressive than physical violence. And that's validated by modern psychology. Mental abuse and verbal abuse are actually more dangerous. And emotional, mental and verbal abuse are more dangerous, more insidious, more aggressive and have longer lasting and harmful effects than physical abuse. And that's what the Qur'an and the Hadith have always told us. Not recently, but from the very beginning. So much so that there's one verse of the Qur'an which mentions it so beautifully, which I will refer to in a moment when we get to Humazah and Lumazah. So the love of wealth indeed makes a person aggressive. But it doesn't always have to be physically aggressive. It can be aggressive by way of emotional and verbal abuse and mental abuse. Some people are, in fact, in many cases, some people are not physically abusive simply because they've got a greater control over themselves. But their abuse is much more calculated, much more insidious, far more damaging because they do it with understanding, with calculation. It's mental, emotional and verbal. They know how to wear a person down how to tear into a person's heart, how to reach the innermost and the furthest most recesses of a person's mind. They know how to, they know that rather than slap or punch someone, they can make them lose sleep by what they say to them. They attack their character, their being, they reduce them to the lowest of the low. They degrade them, defame them. So sometimes a person may not be physically aggressive and abusive simply because a person has far more control over themselves and does their job in a much more professional and calculated manner through verbal, mental and emotional abuse. So the love of wealth, when unbridled, uncontrolled, indeed makes a person aggressive. And is is that not what the Qur'an says? Here the Qur'an doesn't speak about physical violence. The Qur'an says someone who gathers wealth enumerates it, counts it, and then he makes him delusional and delirious, what does he end up becoming? Humazah lumazah. Someone who verbally and aggressively attacks others, defames them, taunts them, throws jibes at them, engages in gossip, rumour-mongering, assassinating their character, backbiting, slander. But the person will not raise a finger. The Qur'an and the Hadith have always recognized this as being extremely dangerous. And that's what love of wealth does. It makes a person aggressive. One of the reasons is because a person becomes so possessive and protective of their wealth that they believe everyone is out there to get their wealth. So to protect their their wealth and their attachment to that wealth, they will defend themselves by by being aggressive towards others, whether it's physical or mental, emotional and verbal. 
This is how wealth possesses a person, makes them and corrodes their character, corrupts their character, and not just their character, but even their mind. Wealth makes a person delusional and delirious. So the Qur'an and the Hadith, Islam encourages us to earn wealth, but only in the right way. If it's not done in the right way, then wealth possesses us, we do not possess wealth. And the Prophet ﷺ speaks of that so beautifully in a number of hadith. We will be coming to Surah Al-Takathur in the next few weeks. Surah Al-Takathur, the words are, the beginning words are, Al-Hakum Al-Takathur. Amazing. Al-Hakum Al-Takathur. Takathur, one-upmanship. One-upmanship. Rivalry and acquisition of wealth. But the best translation would be one-upmanship. One-upmanship has distracted you. (coughs) Distracted us from what? From reality. We spend our entire lives chasing things in order to make us happy. And we all believe happiness lies in wealth. Power lies in wealth. (coughs) And this... One-upmanship, this rivalry of always trying to earn more and be better than the other, earn more than the other, have more possessions than the other. This takathur, this rivalry, this one-upmanship has distracted us from the reality of life, from the reality of our journey, from our true destination. And we will remain distracted. We will remain heedless. Allah says, until when? Until you visit the graves. Throughout our lives. Because we're always chasing something which is unattainable. We seek happiness through wealth. But, does it actually gain us happiness? Do we gain happiness through wealth? Do we find what we seek in wealth? The pauper, and the billionaire are both the same in living. He breathes, he breathes. He thinks, he thinks. His body, the pauper's body is nourished and the billionaire's body is nourished. They can only eat a certain amount of food. You can only have one pair of clothes or one set of clothes on your body at any one given time. And when we sleep, we sleep as a corpse sleeps. For in Islam, even by the understanding of the Qur'an, sleep is lesser death. That's what sleep is. Death is a sleep from which we will never awake. And sleep is a death from which we do awaken. That's all it is. So when a person sleeps, he sleeps as a corpse. Is there any difference between him and a corpse? We do not know. We dream. But whether we're sleeping in a million pound bed or on the park bench, does it make any difference once we actually do sleep? And, and the strange thing is that the, once a person is happy within himself or herself, then that's fine. The tramp sleeps on a park bench and he dreams 
of earning millions. And the multimillionaire sleeps on a million pound bed. But one, he can't find sleep. And when he eventually does sleep, he has nightmares of ending up on a park bench and losing his millions. And the ulama of Islam have actually described it as, uh, in, in these words, that when a person sleeps, as though he is a corpse, it doesn't make any difference. So the pauper and the billionaire almost lead the same kind of life, except in what they think they have or they don't have. The billionaire still wants to be a bigger billionaire. So wealth, wealth is well, the acquisition and the earning of wealth is encouraged, but only if it's done responsibly. Otherwise, if it's not done responsibly, wealth destroys a person. It corrodes and corrupts their character, and not just their character, but even their mind. And this is what happens. And he who gathers wealth. The meaning of gathering is from everywhere. Acquiring wealth from halal and haram. Trampling on others. Violating the rights of others. Just obsessed with the acquisition of wealth. More and more, more and more. And counts the wealth. Forever checking his or her balance. How much have I earned? How much have I cashed? What does it all achieve in the end? Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the Qur'an describes that beautifully, one-upmanship distracts you. And you will remain like this till you visit the graves. In fact, in a hadith related by Imam Muslim, rahmatullahi alayhi in his sahih, the following hadith is so beautiful, Allahu Akbar. It, it's thought-provoking. And I would say, memorize the words of this hadith and try to understand it and reflect on it even daily it's such an insightful hadith Allahu Akbar Imam Muslim rahmatullahi relates this hadith in his sahih so do many other authors from a companion known as Abdullah ibn Shikhir radiyallahu he says that he came upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam whilst the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was reciting surah al-takathur al-haqum al-takathur that one-upmanship and rivalry in acquiring wealth and increasing wealth has distracted you until you visit the graves. When the Prophet ﷺ read the surah, Al-Hakum Al-Takathur, Abdullah ibn al-Shakhir was present. He said to him, he, he said to those who were present, the Prophet ﷺ said, Yaqul ibn Adam, Mali, Mali. Man says, the son of Adam, man says, Mali, Mali, my wealth, my wealth. Wahallaka yabna Adam. And the Prophet ﷺ then said, he asks, And O son of Adam, do you really have any wealth? Illa ma akalt fa'afnayt, except that which you have eaten and therefore finished. Or which you have worn and worn out. Or which you have given in charity for undayt, and therefore you have sent it for yourself to your afterlife. Do you have any wealth other than these three? 
And in another hadith, again related by Imam Muslim rahmatullahi alayhi in his sahih and by others, from Sayyidina Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Yaqul ibn Adam, man, man says, the son of Adam says, Mali, Mali, my wealth, my wealth. وَإِنَّمَا لَهُ ثَلَاثِ Man has only three types of wealth. مَا أَكَلْ فَأَفْنَى That which he has eaten and therefore finished. أَوْ لَبِسَ فَأَبْلَى Or which he has worn and worn out. أَوْ مَا أَعْطَى فَأَقْنَى Or which he has given, i.e. in charity, and thereby hoarded a reward and wealth for himself in the akhirah. وَمَا سِوَى ذَلِكَ And anything other than these three categories of wealth, فَهُوَ ذَاهِبٌ So that is about to disappear. وَتَارِكُهُ لِلنَّاسِ And he is about to leave it for others. And that's what wealth is. Prophet ﷺ informs us that man is forever saying, my wealth, my wealth. But in reality, he has no wealth. He has no wealth. Except what he has eaten. So if there, is, if, if there is food which he has bought from his wealth, or food which he has earned and acquired, when he eats that food, that food belongs to him. Because he's eaten it, he's consumed it, it's nourished his body, it's given him satisfaction, and it's perished. If there's a set of clothes, he's worn the clothes. He's benefited by wearing those clothes. Those clothes have protected him from the elements. From the elements, from cold, from heat, from wind. And they've protected him, sheltered him, clothed him. And he's worn them out, now they're useless for anybody else. So he has made full use of those clothes. Those clothes belonged to him. That food belonged to him. That food was his, those clothes were his. Or a third category. Anything which he gives to someone else, food, clothing, shelter, accommodation, wealth, money, cash, which he gives to someone else in charity. Then, even though he has given it to someone else in charity, and apparently it doesn't belong to him anymore, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, indeed it still belongs to him, because what he gives in charity, he has secured for himself, and he has carved that for himself by name, it is waiting for him in the hereafter. But apart from these three things, there is nothing else which belongs to him. Because everything else has not perished, has not been worn out, and it's still there for the taking. So he may have a billion in his bank account, but that billion does not belong to him unless he eats it or wears it. Because whatever else, apart from what he has eaten and therefore it's perished, and it's finished, apart from what he has worn, and therefore it's worn out, apart from this, anything else, even though it may be in his name, it's actually waiting to be seized by others. For وَذَاهِبٌ It will disappear from him. He will go also وَتَارِكُهُ nas, And he will leave it for others. So that's what we do. We slave our entire lives, so that others may squabble over the wealth that we leave behind. We don't eat even though we can, so that we earn more money, so that others may feed off that money. We have starved in order to feed others, without any reward. We have lost sleep, so that others may sleep, without any reward on our part. That's the reality of wealth. Wealth either possess, we either possess wealth, 
or wealth possesses us. When a person possesses wealth, he uses it as a tool. Wealth does not use him. He controls wealth, wealth does not control him. But once a person becomes attached to wealth, wealth possesses him, his heart and his mind, and it corrupts his character. And this can be, uh, Allah says here, الَّذِي جَمَعَ لَمَالًا وَعَدَّدَهُ يَحْسَبُ أَنَّ مَالَهُ He thinks that wealth will give him everlasting life. Wealth reaches a person's mind to such an extent that it makes him delusional and delirious. He actually does. And this message is confirmed in a number of verses of the Holy Qur'an. Again, referring to Jumu'ah, I mentioned Allah has given us a message of wealth just on Jumu'ah. Surah Al-Jumu'ah, Surah Al-Munafiqoon, I've already explained them. There is something else that the Prophet ﷺ has encouraged us to do on Jumu'ah, which is to recite Surah Al-Kahf by authentic, reliable narrations. We have been promised a number of rewards for reciting Surah Al-Jumu'ah entirely on Friday. Sorry, Surah Al-Kahf on Friday. One of the rewards is that when a person recites Surah Al-Kahf on Friday on Jumu'ah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will create, this Surah Al-Kahf will create a nur for him, a light on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. In another hadith, again reliable, whoever recites Surah Al-Jumu'ah entirely on Friday, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will create a nur, a light for him on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, which stretches between him and the Holy Kaaba. That distance between him and the Holy Kaaba. There are other rewards mentioned for reciting parts of Surah Al-Kahf, but this is a reward for reciting the whole of Surah Al-Kahf on Jumu'ah. It's sunnah, therefore, to recite Surah Al-Kahf. One of the messages of Surah Al-Kahf and one of the stories of Surah Al-Kahf is brilliant. Again, this is what we learn about wealth on Jumu'ah. Allah says to the Prophet ﷺ in Surah Al-Kahf, وَضْرِبْ لَهُمْ مَثَلَ الرَّجُلَيْنِ And strike for them the example. Give them the example of two men. And then I'll mention it briefly. The two men, one was poor, the other was extremely rich. How rich was he? For one of them Allah says, we created gardens and orchards for him. Gardens and orchards and vineyards. And these vineyards were surrounded by palm groves and other orchards. And there was, there was a river or a beautiful stream flowing in between. And these orchards and these vineyards and palm groves gave their fruits beautifully and productively and copiously. He had extensive lands. So one day he took the poor person for a tour of his lands. And he had much wealth and produce. فَقَالَ لِصَاحِبِهِ وَهُوَ يُحَابِرُهُ أَنَا أَكْثَرُ مِنْكَ مَالًا وَعَزُّ نَفَرًا He said to his companion who was poor, whilst he was conversing with him, أَنَا أَكْثَرُ مِنْ أَنَا أَكْثَرُ مِنْكَ مَالًا I am greater in wealth than you are, وَعَزُّ نَفَرًا And I am more of might in terms of numbers of men. So I'm richer than you, I'm more powerful than you, I can call on more people than you. Allah then says, And he entered his garden, his paradise on earth. 
He was wrongful and unjust to his own soul. And this is what wealth does. It makes a person delusional and delirious. He said, I do not think that any of this will ever perish. This is all everlasting. That's how delusional and delirious his wealth made him. But he didn't just stop there. Progressively, his delusion became even greater. He became even more delirious. Allah then says, He said, I do not think that any of this will perish. In fact, I do not believe that the day of reckoning will ever arise. There is no day of reckoning. Then he became even more delusional. He said, in fact, if for argument's sake, all of this does perish, and I don't believe there's a day of reckoning, but if for argument's sake, there is a day of reckoning, and we will be resurrected, and we will be returned to our Lord. He said, If I am returned to my Lord, I will discover an even greater return than this, meaning my Lord will give me more there than he has given me here. That's how delusional and delirious wealth makes a person. Allah says here, that's the message of Jumu'ah also, Surah Al-Kahf. Here, He thinks that his wealth will give him everlasting life. Wealth makes a person delusional and delirious. And it corrupts a person's character. How corrosive and how corrupting is wealth? And before I continue about the delusion of wealth, there's a story which the ulama, uh, I've heard from ulama, and wallahu alam, Allah knows best if it's actually a true story or whether it's an anecdote, but it, it, it illustrates the delusion and, uh, uh, well, it illustrates the corrosive, corrupting effect of wealth beautifully. Uh, wallahu alam, if it's true, but I'll relate it as an anecdote. That, um, I've heard this from the ulama, that there was a king and he had a humble barber. And originally, as you know, now uh, hairdressing, the hairdressing industry is worth billions. But traditionally, virtually in most cultures and uh, communities, the barber uh, followed a very humble, menial, manual profession. So there was a king who had a humble barber. Now the king noticed a change in his barber. The barber would dress him shave him, clip his hair. Whenever he would do it inside the palace, fine. He would do so very silently, calmly, knowing his place, knowing his position, not uttering a word, grooming, shaving and clipping the hair of the king. But whenever the king, whenever his majesty desired to be groomed outside on the lawn, in the warmth, the barber would suddenly become quite chatty and talkative. And how talkative? He would groom the king and continuously say, your daughter, my son, your daughter, my son, your daughter, my son. Me, what are you saying? Your majesty, my son will marry 
Her Royal Highness the Princess. My son will marry the royal, Her Royal Highness the Princess. My son, your daughter. My son, your daughter. The king thought him mad and overlooked it. Then, when he groomed him inside the palace or anywhere else, totally silent. But whenever he would groom him outside on the lawn on the same spot, suddenly, my son, your daughter, my son, your daughter, he called his wazir. And he said, explain to me, what's wrong? What's, what's wrong with him? He seems to become mad only when he grooms me outside. So the wazir said, your majesty, show me the spot. So he showed him the spot. He said, your majesty, can you have this spot dug up? So he said, why? He said, your majesty, please, as I say. So the king ordered his workmen and they dug up the spot from beneath where the throne would be pl- or the chair would be placed when the king would be groomed outside on the lawn. When they dug it up, lo and behold, they discovered treasure. So the king said, how did you know? The wazir said, your majesty, the heat and the effect of the wealth from even underneath the ground was cooking his brain. <laughs> and it had such an effect that it made him delusional and delirious. That the effect of wealth, which he never knew existed, but which was actually beneath the ground, was making him delusional and he was imagining and dreaming about his the son of a barber marrying her royal highness the princess. But as long as he wasn't standing there and he was somewhere else, then there would be no effect. That's the radiation of wealth. Half-life. Radiation of wealth. So it may be an anecdote, but it illustrates a point uh, amply. But true or not, the Qur'an tells us, يَحْسَبُ أَنَّ مَالَهُ He thinks that his wealth will make him immortal, give him everlasting life. The verse of Surah Al-Kahf, I don't think any of this will perish. And I don't think that the day of judgment will occur. And even if it does, if I am returned to my Lord, my Lord will give me more and better there than he has given me here. So it doesn't just make a person delusional and delirious. It actually corrodes and corrupts a person's character. So much so they make them aggressive, violently, verbally, emotionally and mentally aggressive. And that's how we return to the first two parts of the surah, two uh, words of the surah. Woe be unto every backbiting, defaming person. Backbiting, defamation, Attacking people verbally, mentally, emotionally is a grave sin in Islam. Indeed, it's grave. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I mentioned two verses of Surah Al-Hujarat and I'll translate them. They explain it beautifully. Allah says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu la yaskhar Before I say this, as I said, there are a number of verses which tell us how wealth makes a person Baghi, meaning rebellious. In Surah Al-Alaq, in, uh, in the very first Surah that was revealed, although these verses were revealed later, Allah says, Nay, man transgresses because he sees himself as independent, meaning rich. In another verse, Surah Al-Layl, وَأَمَّا مَنْ بَخِلَ وَاسْتَغْنَى وَكَذَّبَ بِالْحُسْنَى فَسَنَ يَسِّرُهُ لِلْعُسْرَى As for one who is stingy and thinks himself independent and rich and who rejects the good 
then soon we shall ease him to difficulty. Meaning, we, his stinginess and niggardliness and miserliness and his love of wealth and his believing himself to be rich and independent of Allah, this will lead him to rejecting all that is good and it will actually create a momentum for him to sin even more. That's the meaning of we shall ease him unto difficulty. That's what wealth does. In another verse of Surah Al-Shura, Allah says, وَلَوْ بَسَطَ اللَّهُ الرِّزْقَ لِعِبَادِهِ لَبَغَوْ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَلَكِنْ يُنَزِّلُ بِقَدْرٍ مَّا يَشَاءُ Allah says, and if Allah expanded and spread His sustenance for His servants, they would surely transgress and rebel in the land. But Allah only sends down of measure as much as He wishes. If Allah made every one of us so wealthy, we would be even more corrupt than we already are. That's the testimony of that verse of the Qur'an. So it corrodes and corrupts a person's character. And what does it make him do? In another verse, Nazi'at, Surah Al-Nazi'at, فَأَمَّا مَنْ طَغَى وَآثَرَ الْحَيَاةَ الدُّنْيَا فَإِنَّ الْجَحِيمَ هِيَ الْمَأْوَى As for one who rebels and transgresses and gives preference to the worldly life, then Jahannam, Jahim, the fire, is his abode. That's what wealth does. And part of that corruption and part of that aggression, part of that rebellion in character is this. A person becomes verbally, mentally and emotionally aggressive towards others. This is verbal, mental and emotional violence perpetrated against our victims. Even though it may not be physical, we may not raise a finger, but this is violence. And this is aggression. This is injustice. This is tyranny and dhulm. This is evil that we perpetrate. Those verses of Surah Al-Hujarat. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لَا مِنْ قَوْمٍ عَسَىٰ أَنْ يَكُونُوا خَيْرًا مِّنْهُمْ O believers, let not any group of men amongst you mock and ridicule any group of men, lest those who are being mocked are better than those who are mocking them. And nor let not any group of women Mock, deride and ridicule any group of women, lest those who are being mocked are actually better than them. Then Allah says, وَلَا تَلْمِزُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ وَلَا تَلْمِزُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ And do not defame yourselves. Remember earlier on I said, there's one verse which describes it beautifully, لَمْزْ وَيْلٌ لِكُلِّ هُمَزَ أَلْ Lumaza. Lumaza comes from lums. That's the same thing that's being referred to in Surah Al-Hujarat. وَلَا تَلْمِزُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ And do not defame yourselves. Do not defame yourselves. Interesting. Allah says here, do not mock one another. Men should not mock men. Women should not mock women. Later, Allah says, وَلَا تَنَابَزُوا بِالْأَلْقَابِ Do not call each other by offensive names. Later Allah says, do not backbite each other, do not investigate for each other's faults. But here Allah says, وَلَا تَلْمِزُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ And do not defame yourselves. Why would anyone defame themselves? So why does the Qur'an say, وَلَا تَلْمِزُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ Why doesn't it say, like it does for all the other traits, and do not backbite each other, do not... Uh, call out to each other with offensive names, do not mock each other, do not ridicule each other. Why not just simply say, do not defame each other? Why say, and do not defame yourselves? Quite simple. A hadith explains this beautifully. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam once stood on the member and said, Ya ma'ashara man amana bilisanihi walamma yadkhulil imanu qalbah. 
O assembly of those who have believed with their tongues, but Iman has not yet entered their hearts. La taghtabul muslimina wa la tattabi'u awratihim. Do not backbite the Muslims and do not search for their faults. For indeed, he who searches for the faults of the Muslims, Allah will search for his faults. And whoever's faults Allah searches for, يَفْضَحُ وَلَوْ فِي جَوْفِ رَحْلِهِ Allah will disgrace and humiliate him even in the midst of his own home. That's the meaning of وَلَا تَلْمِزُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ Do not defame yourselves. Today you seek to defame someone. Allah. Allah will ensure that he will defame you, disgrace you and humiliate you one day, even in the midst of your own home. That's why, don't defame someone today, lest tomorrow you will be defamed. So realize that your effort at defaming others will result only in that defamation, her being hurled back at you like a boomerang. وَلَا تَلْمِزُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ And do not defame yourselves. وَلَا تَنَابَزُوا بِالْأَلْقَابِ And do not call out to each other with offensive names. Evil are these aforementioned things as a sin after Iman, meaning after Allah has given you Iman, you still engage in this kind of aggression. And whoever does not repent, then these are the sinful wrong ones. O believers, abstain, refrain from excessive speculation and conjecture. In the ba'd indeed some speculation is a sin. Wala tajassasu, and do not search for one another's faults. Wala yaghtab ba'dukum ba'da, and do not backbite one another. Ayyuhibbu ahadukum an ya'kula lahma akhihi maytan fakarihtumuh. Would any one of you wish that you eat and devour the flesh of your brother as being dead? Surely you will detest this. So detest backbiting in the same way. Allah himself has described backbiting as a form of cannibalism. And part of the horror of cannibalism is that the victim lies there helpless. He's a corpse. The dead person is a corpse. Defenseless, Helpless. Some, an evil person can do what they want with that corpse. There is no stopping them, restraining them. The corpse is lifeless, motionless, defenseless. We are repulsed by the thought. We cringe at the very idea. We shake and shiver. We are disgusted. We we find the whole idea nauseating that a person could eat the flesh of another human. Cannibalism is banned. And not only is it banned, anyone who thinks of indulging in cannibalism, even in the mildest form, is not only a vile criminal, but is severely mentally disturbed and unhinged. And that's how... Everyone all over the world views such a person. 
person is viewed as a freak specimen. But Allah says, why do you engage in the same behavior? When you backbite, and what is backbiting? Backbiting is beautifully described by the Prophet ﷺ. He was asked, what is backbiting? So the Prophet ﷺ said, You're mentioning something about your brother which he dislikes. So someone said, Ya Rasulullah, what about if it's true and it's actually to be found in such a person? Prophet ﷺ said, if it's true about him, then you have bitten his back. And if it's not true, then you've slandered him. So this idea that we have, that, oh, I can say it to his face and therefore it's not backbiting, that's no defense. Backbiting is to mention anything in their absence which they would dislike. Simple. Whether it's true or untrue. In fact, if it's true, it's backbiting. If it's untrue, it's slander. If the person would dislike it, it's backbiting. And so, in fact, al-qab do not call out to each other with names. Nicknames are bad. Unless the person approves of them. If a person likes the t- nickname and approves of it, not by force and compulsion, if the person becomes so lowly and demoralized and he or she thinks that everyone calls me by this name, I must be that. That's what mental and emotional abuse does. It erodes a person's self-esteem until they actually begin to believe about themselves what others accuse them of. That's what mental and verbal abuse does. That's what it does. And you can have extremely powerful, intelligent, successful, striving, enterprising, rich, wealthy people who suffer from extreme low self-esteem. And they live a life of hell and inner turmoil and torment. Because of their mental, emotional agony, anguish and agitation. Despite the power, the influence, the wealth, the glitz and the glamour. Because that's what emotional, verbal abuse does. person begins to actually believe that about themselves. So, if a person approves of a nickname out of desperation or out of defeat, then that is not permissible. If someone genuinely finds a nickname amenable, appealing... And they like it, then it's permissible. Otherwise, nicknames are haram if the person who is known by that nickname actually disapproves. Al-Qab do not call out to each other by nickname, by names. And not even offensive names. So imagine backbiting. The Quran says when a person backbites, what do they actually do? They the victim of their backbiting is like a dead corpse. Helpless, defenseless. And just like a person attacks a dead corpse and cannibalizes it, well, this person verbally, mentally, and emotionally cannibalizes their own brother, their own sister, their own fellow. Because like a corpse, the person is defenseless. That's just part of the similarity. So Allah describes backbiting as cannibalism. And lums. Defamation and taunting, how, what does Allah say? Allah says that ultimately you will suffer the result yourself. So woe be, we'll end here, woe be unto, un, woe be unto every backbiting, defaming person. He who gathers wealth 
and caps it. He thinks that his wealth gives him everlasting life and makes him immortal. The love of wealth and its acquisition and the delusion and the delirium of wealth, this causes corruption in a person's character and leads to those kind of behaviours mentioned in the beginning. What is the reward for such a person? Will he have everlasting power, influence and life? Will he become immortal? Will wealth enrich him and empower him to that degree? The Qur'an makes a dramatic declaration. (coughs) Kalla, never. Far from becoming immortal (coughs) and omnipotent and all-powerful, the Qur'an says, He will be disgracefully cast aside into the hutamah. What is the hutamah? The crushing one. And what do you know of the crushing one? It is the ignited fire of Allah. That which will rise over to the above the hearts. Meaning, in the world, subhanAllah, in the world, fire consumes, if a fire burns a person, it consumes them immediately. It'll incinerate them. In the Akhirah, this punishment and the iqab and the adab of Allah described here is such that the per- it will burn the person entirely except the heart. It will just flicker at the heart. It will just flicker at the heart. So the person will feel the pain. Then the whole body will be fleshed again for the adab to be regimed so that the heart can continuously undergo this torment. And it will burn the entire body until it rises, peeps at the heart and flickers at it and the heart will be fully alive and conscious and aware of the pain. But that will be Jahannam. A person will pray for death but death will not come. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protects us. Which will rise at the hearts, it will flicker at the hearts. The fire will actually be enclosed. It will be an enclosure. The fire will act as a complete enclosure. They will be contained within a vessel and a container of fire, locked and sealed. In columns extended, which could either mean that people will be tied to the columns, or that these, the fire itself will be in extended columns of fire. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to understand the words of the Holy Qur'an. There's a lot more to say about wealth, which I will speak on, hopefully differently, with other hadith and other descriptions, uh, and another approach when we come to al-haqum al-takathur. I pray that Allah enables us to understand the words of the Holy Qur'an. May Allah make us amongst those who's, who have the risk of Allah and any wealth which He chooses to give in our hands, but not in our hearts. May Allah make us amongst those who are not corrupted in character, in deed, or in mind by wealth or by its love and attachment. 
May Allah make us amongst those who possess the wealth that Allah gives us as risk and as sustenance and who are never who never become possessed by that wealth. I'll end with just one hadith, which is a very beautiful hadith. Prophet sallallahu alayhi it's a hadith related by Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi alayhi and by others from Sayyidina Abu Kabshah radiyallahu an. He said the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, Thalathun uqsimu alayhinna wa uhadithukum hadithun fahfadhuh. There are three things on which I swear. And there is one hadith which I relate to you, therefore remember it, preserve it. As for the three on which I swear, they are that never does wealth given, never does the wealth of a servant given in sadaqah and charity, never does it decrease. It's never reduced. That's the first thing on which I swear. The second thing, Never is a person, never does a person suffer any wrong or injustice. And then he is patient over that wrongdoing and injustice that he or she has suffered, except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increases him or her in izzah and in honor and dignity. And the third thing by which I, on which I swear is that never does a servant of Allah open the door of asking and begging except that Allah opens a door of poverty on them. These are the three that I swear on. And as for the hadith which I relate to you, فَحْفَظُوهُ Therefore remember it, preserve it. What is that? He then says, it's a reliable, authentic hadith. إِنَّمَا الدُّنْيَا لِأَرْبَعَةِ نَفَرْ The world is only for four types of people. عَبْدٌ بَزَقَهُ اللَّهُ مَالًا وَعِلْمًا a servant of Allah whom Allah has given and granted wealth and knowledge, meaning understanding. So he fears Allah in that wealth. And he strengthens and bonds the ties of kinship and blood in his family through that wealth. And he works with the right of Allah. He does deeds and he does things with that wealth, with the right of Allah. Meaning fulfilling the right of Allah. So the Prophet ﷺ said, فَهَذَا بِأَفْضَلِ الْمَنَازِلِ This servant of Allah is in the best and the most virtuous of all the greats. Then the second servant is one whom Allah has not granted wealth, but Allah has granted him knowledge, meaning understanding. So he looks at the first, and he says, if Allah would grant me wealth as he has given him, then I would do what he does. In that, he would fear Allah in that wealth, strengthen the ties of kinship, bond and blood through that wealth. And he would work deeds with that wealth, fulfilling the right of Allah. So the Prophet ﷺ said, the second one, he doesn't have the wealth, but this is his niyyah, this is his intention. So his reward and the reward of the first is equal. The third person, Abdun, a servant whom Allah has granted wealth, but Allah has not granted him understanding and knowledge. So he does not fear Allah in that wealth. And he does not strengthen the bonds and the links and the ties of kinship and blood and family with that wealth. And he does not work in that wealth by fulfilling the right of Allah. 
Prophet ﷺ said, he is in the worst of grades and degrees. And the fourth servant is one whom Allah has not given wealth or understanding. So he looks at the third person and he says, if I had been given wealth like he has, then I'd do what he'd do. I'd do what he does. Meaning he would end up not fearing Allah in that wealth, not joining and bonding the ties of kinship and blood and family with that wealth, and working in that wealth in such a way that he would not fulfill the right of Allah. Prophet ﷺ says, even though he doesn't actually do the deeds of the third person, this is his intention. Prophet ﷺ says, فَوِزْرُهُمَا سَوَىٰ The burden of the sin is equal for the third and the fourth. Imagine. So when we look at others who have wealth, and we aspire to be like them, to do what they do, to live their lifestyle by the testimony of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, we actually share either their reward or we share their sin and punishment. The difference is, at least he's enjoying it. We don't have it. We don't enjoy it. We just salivate and look at we just look at it, dream about it and salivate. But by the words of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in this authentic hadith, our punishment and our burden of sin is actually equal and the same. May Allah protect us. May Allah make us amongst the amongst either the first or the second. This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadhul Haq and has been brought to you by Alkotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on 0044-121-771-3777 or by email via sales at akstore.com. Produced under license by Alkotha Productions, all rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.